I just feel really strongly right now. Some of you guys are in a battle with the spouse because maybe you've both faced something really, really hard. None of this came from God. It all came from the enemy. You both need to move your sight to the true enemy. The enemy is not her. The enemy is not you or him. Who is the true enemy? And you need to say, get behind me, Satan. It's time now for the Autumn Miles Show. Hey, hey, guys, it is your girl, Autumn Miles. Welcome to Job Part 3. Job Part 3. It's already been three weeks, guys. I can't believe it. I cannot wait until this little brain Bible baby gets out into the world next week. Um, We do record one week in advance. So I am so excited about the content that I'm sharing today because I know it's going to encourage someone so much. And it, I was writing my notes as fast as I possibly could. I've studied for like a week for this, but I jotted down my notes so fast because I just loved everything that God taught me. So Job chapter three after the break. You are not going to want to miss this. It's hopefully it's going to just hit the spot, hit the spiritual spot in your soul that you need hit so you can be encouraged. Thank you guys for joining us today. It is September. I love September and it is like, I don't know, we're heading into my favorite time of the year and God is doing so much in my life. He's showing me so many things. He's testing me a lot. And in the midst of this super incredible, crazy, busy, crazy season that I'm in, God has always given me such a love for traditions. And um, what's happening in my life, traditions right now, we're all about the traditions in the fall time. And this past Sunday. I typically put up all of my fall foliage September 1st. It happens on September 1st. Why? Because Starbucks starts selling their pumpkin spice latte on September 1st. And so every year, I think if it's good enough for Starbucks, now maybe they've changed it by then. Now it just seems to be getting old, you know, late earlier and earlier with the pumpkin lattes and stuff. But years ago, I don't know if they still do it, but they started doing it on September 1st. And so I thought then, you know what, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for the Miles family. So we're celebrating for fall on September 1st because fall is the best time of the year. It is um, the most wonderful time of the year as the song goes. And so I've had a longstanding tradition in my family. We do it September 1st. Is it 105 degrees in Dallas? Yes, it is. So? So? (laughs) I don't care if it was the surface of the sun. We are celebrating for fall on September 1st. We are decorating for fall on September 1st. Alas, September 1st came and went this year and Obama was busy. So we did not celebrate on September 1st. I mean, decorate on September 1st. 
And my little son, Moses, who is eight, he's not quite little. He weighs a solid hundred pounds, um, but he is eight years old. And he has my huge passion for all things celebratory. He loves traditions. He will remind me of traditions to make sure that I'm on my game so that we don't forget a tradition. He reminds me when we're supposed to do things such as mom, it's the week before Thanksgiving. Aren't we supposed to decorate for Christmas or mom? It's the 4th of July. Like, are you going to put out the flag? (laughs) The kid is my spirit animal when it comes to celebrating and decorating. When September 1st came and went, he realized, I think it was like September 5th, he realized September 1st had come and gone. And he told me one day at breakfast, mom, what day is it? And I was like, I don't know, but let me check. I think it was like September 5th. Do you realize, mom, we did not decorate for fall on September 1st this year. And I thought, do you realize that we don't, like, are you actually holding me to my own rule? Are you holding me accountable, Moses Miles? And he said, mom, we must decorate. And I mean, the kid is as sincere as the kid can be. He could not be more precious, but he has gotten bitten by the tradition bug. And so that weekend, Jude had a game Grace had a game. They all have all the things all the time, constantly all the time. And I said, well, maybe we'll decorate this weekend. And on Sunday after church, I sent out a very strong mandate throughout my family. (laughs) It was this, nobody can go anywhere. You can't do anything. Don't ask to go to your friend's house. Don't ask to go get coffee with somebody. Don't ask to do anything other than this. We are going to decorate for fall. And I made my homemade beef stew, which, by the way, we haven't had it since last year because I don't make it when it's 105 degrees outside for reasons that are obvious. But I made that. My kids love my chocolate chip cookies. I don't know what it is about those chocolate chip cookies, but I think they have this like glamorized view of them for some reason. And um, they'll eat cookies everywhere else. I mean, you guys know, what are those giant cookies that everyone is obsessed with? The um, crumble cookies. Don't tell anyone, but they're not my favorite. And then they'll do like, you know, the cookies that they have in the mall. What are those? Like Miss Fields? I don't know. I don't know what they are. I'm losing. I'm losing my mind right now. I can't think. Anyway, all the cookies and they'll eat the cookie and they'll be like, this is not as good as mom's chocolate chip cookie. And it makes me feel great. I, I just wonder why they think there's so I put extra salt in all my cookies because I love that salty, sweet taste, but maybe that's it. I don't know. Anyways, I made chocolate chip cookies. I made my homemade beef stew. You would have thought I handed these kids $5 billion. They were like slurping up the stew and like drooling and all this stuff. And they were like, thank you, mom. I have never, I've not heard that many thank yous in like a solid year from all of them. I mean, they were so grateful. And then we put up our fall foliage and we got to the most important part, which is the mantle, which takes the longest. And we realized that last year I made another mandate 
that said, we will never use these Christmas lights again because it was like one in every three lights worked and we used them for like probably 10 years. And so I threw them in the trash passionately, I'm sure. And then I realized, oh shoot, (laughs) we don't have any Christmas lights and no one's selling them yet, which is shocking to me. Like, come on, Target, where's the Christmas lights? Like it's September, this is what you people do. Anyway, we got Christmas lights, so I still have that to do. And Moses came in this morning and said, I see you haven't done the mantle yet. And I was like, that is insulting. (laughs) Anyway, it's on my to-do list for today. But we have set up for fall in my house. There are pumpkins everywhere. It is 83 degrees right now in Dallas, which is a miracle in and of itself. It's basically Christmas time in Dallas right now. And we are in the swing, guys. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I love the burr months, all the burr months, September, October, November, December. Love the burr months. And I'm thoroughly set out to enjoy every one of them this year. So Anyway, that's what's happening in my life, guys. It's always something. Don't go anywhere. After the break, Job part three, you're gonna want to hear this one. We are going to talk about what does the roar of the little lion sound like? I'll see you after the break. Every day, a new day. Yeah, vibing in the spirit makes me have a blessed day. Yeah. Let's go, X, Y, Z, A, What do you do when you can relate more to Jezebel, Rahab, or Eve, rather than Esther or Mary? To her shock, author Autumn Miles discovered most of the heroes of the Bible were plagued with the same problem. They were ordinary people who sinned deeply, but God's love, mercy, and truth proved greater. In her book, I Am Rahab, Autumn provides a better understanding of God, with a focus on the breadth of His reach to use and redeem all things for His purposes. You will find comfort in relating to Rahab the biblical harlot and to Autumn's own raw story of surviving domestic abuse and will be encouraged to know you are not alone in a life disrupted by bad choices, nor are you meant to stay there. You can move forward from your past and have an abundant future. To find out how you can get a copy of I Am Rahab, Go to autumnmiles.com and click on the books tab. That's autumnmiles.com. Every day, a new day, yeah. Vibing in the spirit makes me have a blessed day, yeah. Let's go, X, Y, Z, A, yeah. Okie dokie, guys. We are back from the break. I've been dying to get here. I've been dying to sit in this chair and to speak into this microphone because I love you so much. And I feel as if this is going to, oh man, it's just going to encourage your heart. I thought a lot about like, what exactly, how do I approach Job chapter two? And we're going to be in, we're going to talk about the whole chapter today. How do I approach Job chapter two? I'm going to read it. And then we are going to hit this really, really hard. But I want you to think of this line. This is going to be my title. Who or what does the enemy's roar sound like? Who does the enemy's roar sound like or what? 
does the enemy's roar sound like? We're going to break that down today because his roar doesn't sound like a roar. First Peter 5, 8, we have gone to this passage so much, but first Peter 5, 8, I could do it by heart, but I want to read it to you. Says this, be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He prowls around like a roaring lion, but what or who does that roar sound like? He's not just roaring. How do you personify that roar? How do you conceptualize that roar? That's what I want to talk to you about today because this verse, if you look at it and you kind of read it, you're like, oh yeah, he's he's seeking for someone to devour. But who or what or how does he do that? That's what I want to talk to you about today. Let me read the passage of scripture and then we're going to break this down. And there's a lot to it today and I'm really proud of this. So I hope it encourages you, Job chapter two. Again, there was a day. Now we did Job chapter one. If you want to do a little review, please go back and listen to Job part one and Job part two. It is going to, I dissected Job part one. We spent two weeks on that one chapter. Go back, listen, refresh yourself. I dissected it a lot and on purpose. I did it on purpose. Okay. But Job chapter two is where we're picking it up today again, again, which means it happened in Job chapter one. So this is the second time this scenario happened. There was a day when the sons of God, I talked about that, what exactly that entailed the last two weeks, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came among them to present himself before the Lord. Remember, this is happening again. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming, 1 Peter 5, 8, about on the earth and walking around it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless, an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And This is identical to what God said in Job chapter one, identical, except this part. And he still holds fast his integrity. He still holds it. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. He still, he still holds it. Take that, Satan. He still holds it. Verse four. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes. All that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand on him now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your power. Only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a pot's herd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Nine. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God 
and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. This dude is like a rock. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, they came, each from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. And they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and to comfort him. When they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept, and each one of them tore his robe, and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great. Period. Who or what does the lion's roar look like or sound like? Who or what? Have you ever heard a sound, you know, in your house? This happens to me a lot with crickets. All of a sudden, I sit outside a lot, a lot, and do my quiet time. I actually do it every morning if weather permits. And I have like kind of a living room situation outside in the back of my house. And so I'm constantly out there. People comment all the time on my wind chimes. Yes, I love wind chimes. I have an alto version of wind chimes, and I have a soprano version of wind chimes. And I love them. But I'll be sitting outside, and a lot of times what I'll do is I'll sit out there, and I don't do anything for a long time, maybe 10, 15 minutes. I mean, if that's a long time for you, it's kind of a long time for me to sit still. But I always have my Bible out early, early in the morning, and I'll sit there, and I'll just be. I'll allow, you know, whatever troubles have been troubling me just to rest for a minute. I really sit in and I enjoy the surroundings of the morning. Morning is my most favorite time. There's something about the morning. Like it's very fresh. It's very new. Everything is wonderful to me in the morning. I know a lot of people are night people, but I really love the morning. I love the dew. I love the freshness of it. I love to hear the birds sing every morning. And I kind of have a date set up with the birds in my backyard. I feed them. So I'm like, will you sing for me? If I feed you, will you sing for me? And they always do. I actually buy bird seed that is for songbirds. So I'm like luring them in. I kind of feel like Snow White luring them in with my seeds. So they'll sing for me. Anyways, I'll sit out there and sometimes I will hear a noise that ain't no bird. And I wonder to myself, where did that come from? And what is that? Where is it? And what is it? And nine times out of 10, I never know where it comes from or what is it. One time I did figure out what it was and it was a coyote in my backyard. And I promise you that coyote was had her eyes on Dolly Parton, my dog, who um, weighs three pounds to have a little snack. But most of the time, I don't know what it is or where it comes from. I just know it's there. When I ask you today, what does the enemy's roar 
or who does the interim resource sound like or what does it look like? That's what we want to talk about today because what the enemy's roar looked like in this passage of scripture was Job himself, Job's wife, and Job's friends. We go down and we kind of dissect the first part of Job chapter two. And here we have, and I'm going to breeze past this because I've, I've studied this in depth in the first two weeks. We have another meeting that Satan has with God. Obviously, he is allowed to come into the throne room. He is allowed to come and have conversations with the Lord. And here he comes again, and he comes again with the sons of God, just like he did in Job chapter one. And again, God says, have you considered my servant Job? Again, we've already talked about this. God props him up. No one like him on the earth. Blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. And he still holds fast to his integrity. Although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Anyone out there today still holding fast? How many of you guys have experienced something like uh, Job did? Maybe not all at once because good Lord, that is a lot. And it makes for a great Bible uh, story, but no one wants to experience what Job experienced in Job chapter one all at the same time. You don't want to experience it one at a time. How many of you guys, something has happened to your child? And I'm not even talking about death. Has your kid ever broken an arm? Moses broke an arm one time and it it literally, I was so sad (laughs) about this arm. Haven had her birth defect and she, you know, the, the Lord healed her. Jude has been struggled with his health his entire life. Anyone out there have a kid that has just struggled and you feel like this is one area where Satan has really been able to mess with your mind? Maybe you've lost a child. That has never happened to me. And if that has happened to you, that is a pain that... I've heard, because I cannot relate, is completely unbearable. How many of you guys out there have lost something? Maybe you, the recession has taken root in your finances. Maybe it's a business deal gone wrong. Maybe there was a business partner somewhere, some way that cheated you out of money or something like that. That is exactly what happened to Job. And all of a sudden, You had a nest egg and now you don't. All of a sudden, you had a medical emergency and now you don't. And it tried the deepest part of you. He lost his camels, he lost his donkeys, he lost his sheep, and then he lost his children. And all of his servants. Anyone out there gone through one of those things, or maybe all of those things at at different times. I think we, my husband and I, and just me before I was even married to him has gone through a version of all of those things before, but just still hold fast to your integrity. Let me say, God is proud of you. 
I just want you to know, if you have any bit of this adversity that you've taken on, any portion of it that you've taken on, and you still love Jesus, and you're still faithful, and you're still showing up, and you're like, this is not really what I wanted, but I know, I know for a fact, no matter what I'm facing, that God is still good and he still loves me and i'm going to cling to that relationship because he is my hope if that is you today you are in good company with a man named job this is what god is able to say to satan he is able to say everything that you did to him you told me satan that he was going to give up his integrity and you tried, you did your worst and guess what? He's still mine. May we all have that testimony. God knew all along Job's faith wasn't up for grabs. As I said last week, he baited the great baiter and won. Satan's curse actually cursed him because his adversity was not stronger than a faith the size of a mustard seed that has the power to move the mountain. All of that was not stronger than the mustard seed of faith that was directly deposited in God himself by he still holds fast. I think this is a moment you celebrate. Like, this is kind of a heavy book. I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you for staying the course, for not giving up, for not giving in, for not breaking your faith and completely abolishing it. I'm so proud of you for clinging to the scriptures. I am so excited for what God has in store for you, for remaining faithful, even though it would have been easier to give up. I'm so proud of you. God is so proud of you. And you have the restoration of God that awaits you. I'm so proud of you. But this is a turning point in our narrative today. That gets tricky. Sometimes these crazy things like, um, you know, something happened. I can almost like if something happens to my kids, I know. I can sense when that is a, a very strong attack from the enemy. Finances, cows. Oh, no, he didn't have cows. Well, he did have cows. Camels, donkeys. All of those things are external things, okay? But this is where the enemy gets permission to attack Job on the inside. Now listen, Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. God had just said, he still holds fast to his integrity, although you've incited me against him to ruin him. Without cause, that's verse three. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Can you just see his sarcasm? Skin for skin. Yes. All that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone, touch his body, touch himself. In his flesh, he will curse you to your face. 
The Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your power. Only spare his life. Verse five is interesting to me because um, Satan could not put his hand on Job. The narrative here, this is why the Bible is amazing, because the narrative here suggests that Satan's power is not a power where he can touch a body and cause it to do whatever he wants. Right here. However, put forth your hand now. Put forth your hand, God, capital Y, your hand, because my hand's too short. You got to put your hand forth. Because my hand isn't powerful enough. I hope you understand the great giant linked chain that Satan is on. It's a link upon link upon link upon heavy link. You got to put your hand on him because you know, we both know. It's like they're having a conversation over coffee. We both know my hand's too short. We both know my hand's too weak. Put your hand and touch his bone and touch his flesh and he will curse you to your face. Satan knows his hand is too short. He knows his hand is too weak. Do you know that about him? Because he's fully aware of that about himself. He doesn't struggle with lack of reality when it comes to the fact that he is a defeated foe. The dude straight up knows. He knows. He was there when he was cast into hell. He knows. He knows his limits. Do you? His hand's too short. His hand's too weak. So in this instance, he tries to bait God. Put forth your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he'll curse you to your face. I guarantee it. You ever heard someone guarantee something that they totally know nothing about? He's going to curse you to your face. Now, God knew In this moment, Job still was not going to curse him. He wasn't going to do it. So this is the whole reason why God said, okay, behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Now, Satan immediately left. He said, you cannot kill him, but I'm going to let you touch his body. This is a hard one, you guys. This is super, super hard. And this is why I talked about last week having a high calling when it comes to suffering. We talked before the show about someone who, in my life, who just physically suffers, loves the Lord, passionate, on fire for the Lord, but physically, it's a regular thing that he physically suffers. This is hard because you think, How could a good God allow physical pain and stuff? How does that happen? And let me tell you something. He doesn't allow it for everybody. Just, I mean, he just doesn't. I know a couple. They're, they're old. They're old, you know, probably 30 years older than me. And they have never had an ailment ever, ever, ever. Like they go to the doctor and they're like, oh, you're, I don't know what eventually the Lord's going to take them home from because they're believers. They've never had a, a real, real, now I'm talking about like, you know, they've had colds where your nose running, you got a tiny little fever, whatever. But I'm talking about their body has been assaulted by some sort of a disease. And you look at them and you're like, why can't I have that? You know, those of you who are suffering physically. But I bet if you have a conversation with them, they'll tell you 
of other struggles. God doesn't just dish this out to anybody. He doesn't allow this for anybody. This was given to Job as a high calling, like we talked about last week, to show the enemy and to show me that this kind of resolve in the Lord is possible. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Now, in my study, some of the commentators suggest that this could be smallpox. We vaccinate for that now, but, you know, obviously this is, I never had it. I don't want it, but I'm just saying, um, if you've never heard of, heard of it or anything like that, it is one of those diseases that is incredibly painful and very serious. And yet the enemy was allowed to touch his body. Now, the enemy says in verse four, skin for skin, verse five, touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. This is what the enemy is saying here. And this is what the lions roar. This is how it manifests. In Job chapter one, we see the money disappearing. We see the servants disappearing. We see the children disappearing. That normally is enough to knock off people from their faith. Typically, in the enemy's experience, that's been successful. It was not successful with Job. So he touches his body because this is something else that the enemy knows. Most of the time, and this is going to sting a little, people love themselves more than anything. Let me just let that sit with you for a second. You can oftentimes touch everything that somebody has if they're a strong believer and they resolve. But if you touch their body themselves, the enemy overplayed his hand again because he thought for sure, because he's seen it so effective. I'm going to touch his body, cause all these boils. Then I got him. Sometimes the enemy's roar looks like your body (laughs) betraying you. I don't see a better example of this. Sometimes in this particular situation, your body betrays you and it pushes you so much over the edge where you're like, this God that I serve could have prevented this and didn't. And it pushes you over the edge. Let me tell you something. Satan banked on Job loving himself more than he loved God. He banked on that. What does the Bible say? Let me read it Read it too. Jesus answered, Mark 12, 29, the foremost is hero Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord, verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. What is the first and greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God, Mark 12, 30, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Satan banked on the fact 
that Job loved himself more than he loved God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength. And he banked on the fact that if I just touch his body, most people choose themselves. It is effective. So he chose to terrorize his body with these boils because it has been effective for him time after time after time after time. Sometimes the enemy's roar looks like your body betraying you. I had a friend, you guys, she worked for me for four years. I don't even know if I could call her my friend. She was more like my my spiritual daughter is what she was. This girl had a piece of my heart that not not everybody sees. She still does. And I will never, ever forget. I was at the beach. It was in June. She called me, uh, I think, 8 o'clock at night, multiple times. I ended up coming in from the beach. I was walking on the beach with my kids. And I'll never forget what she said to me. When I called her back, she said, Autumn, they just diagnosed me with a brain tumor. And for me, time completely froze. This kid, I mean, she's so young. She was 23 at the time. She's so young. She's calling me and she's telling me I have a brain tumor. We later found out was cancerous. I got on a plane shortly after that and I flew to where she was and, you know, she had just actually, I flew because she was having brain surgery and was there when she came out and went in to talk to her. And you know what she could talk about? Like, you know, I don't know if you've ever met anyone or seen anyone right out of brain surgery, but you know what she could talk about? God, the Lord. As time went on in the weeks that followed that, I went to see her several more times. And you know what she wanted to talk about? God. She wanted to talk about heaven. She wanted me to read scripture to her. Here the enemy is coming to try to take her faith. But her little seed of faith was stronger than the enemy's access to it. Sometimes the lion's roar looks like your body betraying you. What did Job do? Satan banked on the fact he's going to give it up. He didn't love the Lord with all his heart. He loves Job with all his heart. This is going to get him. This gets everybody else. This is going to get him. And his response was this. Behold, only spare his life. Verse nine. I'm going to go back to the wife here in just a second. But he says, shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Listen to this. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. We have this amazing picture of this guy. Satan's roaring. The enemy's coming at him. But his response is still, I'm going to hold fast to the Lord. Shall we indeed accept good from the Lord and not adversity? Verse 10. In all this, Job didn't sin. Sometimes the roar looks like your body betraying you. Second one. Sometimes the enemy's roar 
looks like your spouse not agreeing with you. <laughs> Can I be that real? <laughs> All of this stuff happened to Job, okay? But it didn't only happen to Job, you guys. Job was the one that was offered up, but because he was the one that was offered up, the people around him that didn't perish were included in the consequence of what happened to him. And Job's wife was one of those people that was right there. All 10 of her kids died too. It wasn't just Job's kids, her kids. All of her camels died too. All of her donkeys died too. All of her servants died too. In the stroke, literally in, in five minutes, her life changed too. And it stopped. Listen, this is fascinating. The second time Satan was able to come, he only touched Job's body and not hers. Because listen to her response. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with all of his sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took the potsherd, which is so weird. It's like, it's like a broken pitcher that uh, rather than putting ointment on it, because guess what? He couldn't afford ointment anymore. He couldn't afford the best doctors anymore. He was broke as a joke, all right? Rather than doing that, he picked up a piece of like a broken pitcher and started scratching him, which is kind of disgusting, a little bit TMI, but it's the Bible, so we're going to go with it, to scrape himself while he was sitting among ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? And then she says, curse God and die. Yikes. His wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, I'm going to try to tread a little lightly on this one, but it's in the scripture. And I think nobody talks about this. Everyone's like, oh, my marriage is so Instagram wonderful. Really? Have you ever had an instance ever where you've disagreed with your husband or your wife ever? Yes, you have. You know why? Because you're a human being. But this tells me a few things right here. Everything that had happened worked with her. I don't want to discredit her too much because guess what? She had to endure something that no mother ever should have to endure, losing all 10 of her kids. I'm sure she would easily have given up the camels and the donkeys and all the sheep. But the kids, the amount of grief this woman had been through, we cannot judge her on. <laughs> we just can't. And if you think you can, try losing all of your kids at the same time. You can't, okay? Let's take the air out of that balloon real fast. I don't even judge her for saying this because I haven't been in that situation. But one thing I do know about this woman, God bless her, is that she had reached a limit which is why God did not let her be tested any further. And this is, I think, a beautiful picture in Scripture. There is a limit. God, this is preaching to somebody. God knows your limit. He knows where your faith would fail to endure. She'd reached hers. She'd had enough. 
I do not believe God lets us go through adversity more than our limit. And the Bible says, when we're tempted, he will always give us a way of escape. I just don't believe she could have handled one more thing happened to her body. And God knew that. That is the hand of grace and mercy. But Job could. So the first attack, the roar of the lion looked like his body betraying him. The second way the lion roars is having someone really close to you betray you as well. Curse God and die. Do you really, Job? Have you ever heard this? After all of these things, and don't tell me if you did. I don't want to know the state of your marriage. Do you, really? After all the kids, all the cows, all the camels, all the sheep, all the, all the donkeys, all the servants? Really, Job? Am I getting too real? You still going to love Jesus? Really, Job? You still going to be faithful? Really, Job? Why don't you just curse God and die? Her words, not mine. Her faith had a limit, so God stopped that trial. That's a good God, guys. Job comes in and he says this to her. You speak as one of the foolish women speak. You talk about an argument. Curse God and die. You're foolish. Wow. That's not very. I don't know that counsel. They probably at this point do need some counseling, you guys. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Shall we? That just proves my point. We are going through this. We are dealing with this. Her faith had a limit. His did not. She was a grieving mom. Every one of us can give her a break. How many stupid things have you said because you are just overwhelmed with something that's coming at you? But in this situation, the roar of the lion changed from the boils to the wife. Sometimes the roar is a who. Someone who's got your ear. Someone who's so close. Someone who has stuck with you, the good times and the bad. And sometimes you need to understand that there is grace for them and what they're dealing with because they're dealing with a lot. And your job is not to dramatize everything that they say and blow up into another argument everything that they say. Your job when it seems like your spouse is against you. Because that time will come if you've been married longer than two years or three is coming. (laughs) When they're struggling and they have no more strength to give and they have no more support to give, you cling to the rock of ages. The rock of ages. Sometimes the roar isn't a what, it's a who. And I just feel really strongly right now, some of you guys are in a battle with the spouse because maybe you have both faced something really, really hard. None of this came from God. It all came from the enemy. You both need to 
move your sight to the true enemy. The enemy is not her. The enemy is not you or him. Who is the true enemy? And you need to say, get behind me, Satan. The enemy proud like a roaring lion seeking those who he may devour. And he found Job's wife and he just, he did a work on her. This is the same thing that happened to David when he was dancing before the Lord, when his wife, Mikhail said, Michael, Mikhail, whatever, laughed at him. I mean, this is the same thing that happened between Adam and Eve. You think you think your marriage is the only only one that's had problems? Check Adam and Eve out, okay? Sometimes he'll even tempt our spouses. And it's your job to zero in on the Lord and who is the true enemy. They're not the enemy. There is an enemy after you and both of you in these times of, of great adversity. In all this, verse 10, Job did not sin with his lips. Verse 11 says this. Now, and I want to get to this, and I know we're running a little long, but I'm going to just, I'm going to go through it. And if you guys need to stop, I totally, I get it, but come back to it because this is really good. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity, so we've got himself, his flesh, a roar is sometimes when your body betrays you. A roar sometimes comes from the enemy tempting your spouse, and you that because that's an easy place for us to lose it and sometimes it comes from your allies now when job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him each one came from his own place eliphaz bildad and zophar and they made an appointment together that, that they could come uh together to come and sympathize with him and to comfort him when they lifted up their eyes at a great distance they recognize them. They're like, who's this homie? I don't know who this guy is. And they raised their voices and wept. And each of them tore his clothes and they threw dust over their heads. And they sat down on the ground and listened to this with him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word to him for they saw that his pain was very great. Here we have these three friends that come and the three friends get a bag of rap too, but they shouldn't because Job lost a lot of friends. You think of all the people that are with you just for what you can do for them. <laughs> he probably had a lot of those hanging around. These friends actually heard they were good friends to Job. The guy who comes to see you in the hospital, the person that checks on you and you know, you've had a bad day. I had someone call me yesterday and they were like, listen, I just want to check in on you. How are you? And it blessed my heart so much because they knew I was having a bad day. And they said, I'm going to stand in for you. What can I pray for you about? It was awesome. But these three men, they were good friends to Job. They were older. Eliphaz was a grandson of Esau. And I just know this from my study. You can study it yourself. Bildad was probably one of Abraham's sons. And that is a probable, okay? Zophar was also a descendant of Esau, and you can look that up for yourself. But these guys had good heritages, very, very good heritages. So they probably were very wealthy because you think of, you know, who you associate with. And he definitely have a, had a high society status. They were older. They were in their 70s. We know that they were because he was. And they were loyal. 
because they showed up. Don't knock the friend that shows up too bad, even when their advice is bad. They all started off really good. Here they come in and they're like, wow, he's suffering. I'm going to sit in this with him. For seven days, you guys, seven days, they didn't say anything. Isn't that amazing? The Bible says, uh, Job, in the last verse of Job 2, for they saw that his pain was very great. I came across this quote in my study, and it said, light troubles are loud. Deep troubles are silent. You know, people are like, oh, my dog ran away. Or not ran away. That would be sad. But like, oh, I'm running late for whatever. That's a light trouble, guys. Come on, people. He had not been dealing with, you know, a, 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 you know, his nose running. He had boils all over his body. He had lost all of his kids and everything that he had. Light troubles are loud. You tell everybody. Deep troubles are silent. So they sit there in silence. And all of a sudden, you guys, after this silence, the friends that started off good didn't end so good. Listen. Sometimes the roar comes from your body betraying itself. Sometimes it comes from your spouse or someone incredibly close to you like that. But sometimes the roar is also your allies who you trust. In Job chapter four, Eliphaz uh, says this, the innocent Job do not suffer. Let me read it to you. Job chapter four, verse seven. Remember now, this is Eliphaz uh, speaking. Whoever perished being innocent or where were the upright destroyed? He's looking at Job going, I'm going to sit in you with silence for a week. But I'm tired of being silent. I've got some advice for you. I think I've sat here. I think I've understood this. And this is, there has got to be sin somewhere in your life that God is not pleased with. Remember now, verse seven, Job 4, 7, whoever perished being innocent or where were the upright destroyed? Tell me, Job, according to what I've seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. Bam. By the breath of God, they perish. And by the blast of his anger, they come to an end. This is friend number one. He actually had four friends, but I'm just going to go over these three. Sometimes your friends are just roaring at you on behalf of the enemy. Can I be plain? I know someone's going to hate me today. Um, Can I just be plain? This is what Eliphaz said, as old as he was, as much as he loved Joe, because he showed up. He'd been there for a while. He, who knows what conditions they were living in because they had lost everything. Eliphaz, when he opens his mouth, he says, there is something in you that you need to get right because innocent people don't suffer. Hey, Eliphaz, listen, I want you to introduce you to Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is just bad theology, okay? He could have done a little bit of homework and realized that people, yes, they did. They do suffer even though they're innocent. And he was actually speaking to someone who God offered up based on his innocence. Guys, this 
is why. Our friends may mean so well in what they say. Those close to us, those who have our ear. Now, these three guys, they had Job's ear. He was looking to them for comfort. He was glad that they showed up. But the first thing this joker says is, actually speaks after seven days is, you're not innocent. Verse eight, four, eight. According to what I've seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. By the breath of God, they perish. And by the blast of his anger, they come to an end. This joker could not have been more wrong. He was just wrong. Innocents don't suffer, Job. They just don't. I'm just going to tell you based on my wisdom. This is really bad when someone who is, you know, really does have, you know, and they are wise. But even the wisest of counsel sometimes gets it wrong. This is why we have got to be so in tune with the spirit of God and what you know about your own character and those types of things, because this would have been really believable if Job did not know actually where he stood with God. This could have devoured him if this lion look, that looked like a friend could have devoured him if he did not know that he knew that he knew that he knew where his character stood with God. Not in a prideful way, in a truthful way. Some people are like, I'm righteous before the throne. And you're like, I can see pride all over you. But Job actually was one of those guys. The next guy, Bildad, chapter eight. God rewards the good. <laughs> Eight, five, six, and seven. If you would see God. Like this, this Job had been, his whole life was revolved around God. If you would see God. Now, uh, mind you, Job is covered in boils. He is completely depressed at this point. He is lost everything. And this is what these guys are telling him. The first one says, oh, well, you've got to be, there's got to be something wrong with you. The second one says, if you would seek God, he rewards the good and implore the compassion of the Almighty. If you are pure and upright, surely now he would rouse himself for you and restore your righteous estate. Verse 20 says this, God will not reject a man of integrity, nor will he support the evildoers. Now, Bildad wasn't wrong. He doesn't reject men of integrity. But Eliphaz, his advice was bad theology. He was wise, but not to the ways of God. Bildad's advice was ill-timed. Did you ever pour your heart out to someone and they're like, let go and let God? And you're like, I just want to smack you. <laughs> Psalm 23, walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Autumn, where's your faith? None of it's wrong. It's just so insensitive. This guy is very coming off self-righteous. Like I want like God. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Really? 10 of my kids just died. I need to feel a certain way for a minute. Because it's authentic. And you're telling me God isn't going to reject me. Well, now I've, right now, I feel rejected. He wasn't wrong. It's just ill-timed. Guys, when you're giving people advice, 
the Bible says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, quick to hear, quick to slow to speak. Let someone speak. And then you ask the Lord, speak to me on their behalf. Don't just shoot something off. Because let go and let God has a place. But probably not at this moment when he's covered in boils from the head to his toe, scratching them with a broken pitcher because he can't afford medicine for ointment. Let us not be that self-righteous and prideful. The last one, sometimes the enemy sounds like the advice from friends. Zophar rebukes him. Zophar the Tamathite answered, Job 11, shall a multitude of words go unanswered and a talkative man be acquitted? He's basically saying, stop talking, Job. Shall your boast silence men and shall you scoff and non, uh, none rebuke? For you have said my teaching is pure and I am innocent in your eyes. But would that God might speak and open his lips against you. Zophar says God needs to rebuke you and you need to be quiet before him. He judged Job just like Satan judged Job. God needs to rebuke you. You need to sit down and be quiet because there's something wrong. Three friends, Eliphaz, bad theology, Bildad, ill-timed, and Zophar, too judgy. This dude was Judge Judy. The roar came from himself, his wife, his friends. And I want to tell you how to respond to this. If, you know, I know this is kind of like a weird message, but it's scripture, guys. In Matthew 16, 23, Jesus responds, and he says this to Peter, who's trying to say, no, you can't do this. And Matthew 16, 23, Jesus says, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. For you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Get thee behind me, Bildad. So far, get thee behind me. Sometimes we've got to be that bold when we know that we know that we know that we've done everything we could before the throne and we still are getting bad advice. James 4, 7 says this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. In this course, the devil manifested his roar and his friends, his wife and himself but resist him and he will flee. That's exactly what happened in Job 1. And that's exactly what happened in Job 2 too. In Job 42, and then I'll end with this because I know this is incredibly long. We see why it's so important, you guys, to know who we are in Christ when these horror and who to listen to when these hard seasons come. Job 42, verse 7, it came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Timonite, my wrath is kindled 
against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. It is very possible, you guys, that you're trying to listen to a lion's roar because it's believable, because you're weak. The enemy's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can get you weak, that's who he devoured, especially in the Israelite camp, the weak individuals. Listen, I know if you're going through stuff like this, it is so hard. Make sure every day you are getting alone with the Lord. Because all these friends, they meant well. They meant well. Get alone with Jesus. Get alone with the Spirit of God. And ask the Lord, is Bildad right? Is Zophar right? Is Eliphaz right? Do they have a point? Should I listen or should I reject it? And let the Lord work on your heart. I have got had some amazing people in my life. And this happened lots of times. It's not that I disrespect them or I don't still respect them. They just have gotten it wrong before. And the Lord has come in and said, in this situation, listen to me. Listen to me. And it's literally saved my butt a lot because I've leaned into the Lord. So that is my encouragement. I know this has been long, but I really, really love this word. And I feel I want you guys to be able to recognize what it does the lion's roar look like and what does it sound like? Because these are ways that we don't talk about very much, but they're so important to know. Lord, I love you today. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for the truth that this day three is showing us all. I thank you, Lord, that you sit on the throne. I thank you, Lord, that we always have you to run to, come to, lean on, and for comfort. And God, I just pray for those that are dealing with maybe a situation like this, and you're all of a sudden maybe having an aha moment where you're like, is this why this person's advice is not resonating with my spirit? Because it's not of God's spirit. I pray that there's aha moments going off today. And I pray that it causes everyone who hears this to run fast to you, Lord, to your word for truth. Bless them, comfort them in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. I'll be back for a quick third segment right after this break. Every day, a new day. Yeah, vibing in the spirit makes me have a blessed day. Yeah. Let's go. X, Y, Z, A. Yeah. Are you new to this whole Jesus thing and don't know where to start? Or maybe you've been following him for a while and you want to dig deeper into the word of God then you've come to the right place. Each month, Autumn hosts an online in-depth Bible study through Facebook Live called The Jesus Initiative. The Jesus Initiative is a monthly spiritual challenge to anyone willing to join and grow deeper in their faith. She covers topics such as how to wait when waiting is hard, moving forward in faith even when you're terrified, and how to combat the spiritual warfare in your mind. Autumn's desire is to help break down complex topics in a way that's easy for everyone to understand and implement into their everyday lives. The goal of the Jesus Initiative is to tackle real-life topics in a real-life way 
grounded in the Word of God. Understanding the things of God doesn't have to be hard. If you're a believer who wants to grow in your faith and strengthen your relationship with God, these Bible studies will challenge you in all the right ways. Simply search Autumn Miles on Facebook or follow her on Instagram at at Autumn Miles and click the follow button so you can stay in the loop for when the next Bible study starts. Hey guys, it's Autumn and I want to know, family, what is God doing in your life? If you have a recent praise report about God's faithfulness, we all want to know about it. I want to know, my team wants to know, and your brothers and sisters in Christ that listen to this show want to know. You can share your story by emailing hello at autumnmiles.com or you can direct message me on Facebook or Instagram by searching Autumn at the top of the page. I want to hear about it, guys. Let's tell the world what God is doing in your life so we all can be encouraged by your journey of faith. Every day, a new day, yeah. Vibing in the spirit makes me have a blessed day, yeah. Let's go, X, Y, Z, A, yeah. Okay, guys, we're back from the break. Thank you guys for hanging around. I want to go through the testimony and then I'll go through the question that we have. This is a precious testimony and I really thank you for sharing it. It says, my mother has struggled with mental health and life in general for what seems like my entire life. I'm in my mid thirties now. Recently, she suffered an injury, which ultimately resulted in her death. For me, it feels like God finally called her home to rest after a hard-fought life here on earth. I'm going to miss her terribly, but I feel as though she will finally be free of so much pain. I'm so thankful for how quickly she passed and how pain-free it was. I'm so thankful for heaven and eternal life we as believers will have there. That is a precious testimony, and what a perspective she found healing on the other side of her passing. And, you know, it's amazing to have a child praise God for eternal life. I love that. So um, our question today is my six-year-old has been asking a lot of questions about death and heaven lately. How do you talk to your young kids about all of this in a way that makes sense to them? Let me read it again. My six-year-old has been asking me a lot of questions about death and heaven lately. How do you talk to your young kids about all of this in a way that makes sense to them? I really love this question. We do get a lot of questions about kids and marriage and stuff like that. And we're going to be doing more of those. You know, for a six-year-old, I've had four six-year-olds. So I they do ask questions. And I always, the longer I've been a mom, the more I've noticed the manner in which they've asked. I'll look at them and I'll be like, are they just asking this to ask it? Are they asking it for an answer? And you know how a six-year-old can be, mom, why is the, you know, why is the airplane not leaking the airplane fuel? Which I had that conversation with my son last night. Is it just something to say or are they leaned in? I believe that we as parents, when they ask a question and you know they're searching for an answer, is our divine appointment with our children. Now, I give the advice. I answer all questions my kids ask if I know the answer. And if I don't know the answer, I'll find it. I never ignore them. 
I never look past them. I never act like their questions are stupid because they're not. I have a lot of questions and I'm 42. Every question they ask me, no matter what it is, no matter if it's uncomfortable, I answer it because I want to be the one that gives them the information. And so when my kids have asked us about death, we have lost multiple members of our family. We answer the question. We do it in their language, um, but we 100% always answer, yes, death is a part of life. And depending on how far that they take it, we stop when they stop, okay? I'm not going to say, so what happens when you die? And answer a question, their curiosity is satisfied. And then I open up Revelation and talk to them about cherubim and seraphim. I don't push them further than they're ready to receive, okay? I don't think they process that. I actually think that can create some fear in kids. And I've seen it happen in my own life. And I'm like, I just learned that Hebrew for seraphim and I want to share it. You know, they don't care. They're six, okay? But they're not stupid. So, As a parent, you are responsible for stewarding the divine appointment. However, you also should be aware at when the curiosity is satisfied, okay? When they're still asking questions, their curiosity is not satisfied. So in six-year-old terms, Think of what they're learning in school. Those are the things that you, uh, the way you should be talking to them. Think of the books that they're bringing home. That's the language. If it's, you know, Jim saw Sue, she had a red ball. Well, then you don't need to talk about sanctification and justification. They don't get it. And you'll bore them. And you want them to have a wet appetite when they get older, when they do understand what justification means and sanctification means. When their curiosity is satisfied, that's when I stop. And I always ask my kids after a question like this, and I'll talk them through it. And I'm, I talk typically very slow, especially on these types of issues. When I feel like their curiosity is satisfied, this is the last question I ask. Do you have anything else you want to ask mom? I'll answer anything and I'll tell you the truth. Is there anything else you want to ask me? And when their answer is no, I'm done. I then finish it with, you can always ask mom anything and you won't get in trouble for it. I'll answer it. So when it comes to your kids and when it comes to having these intense conversations, answer it on their level. It's a divine appointment for you to steward, do a good job, and then stop when their curiosity is satisfied. And I always, especially if it's about spiritual things, bring the Bible into it. Really? You want to know about heaven? Do you want me to read to you about heaven? What does the Bible say about heaven? I don't just, you know, talk about, you know, things that I don't know about. I don't make things up. I make sure that I am theologically sound, even when I'm answering a six-year-old, because you're the first example of truth those kids are ever going to have as a result to God the Father. So your information needs to be spot on. This was a great question. I loved answering it. So keep them coming like that. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Job part four next week. We're going to talk about Job complaining. Is that allowed? I don't know. We'll talk about it next week. I'll see you next week. Y'all have a great week. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to The Autumn Miles Show. 
Be sure to follow Autumn on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube to stay connected and in the loop with what's happening with the ministry. Just search for Autumn Miles in your internet browser. AutumnMiles.com is also the place where you can book Autumn for your next speaking engagement. She is devoted to spiritually challenging people and the way that they think. She is a passionate advocate for the Word of God, women, domestic violence victims, and adoption. Reach out today and book Autumn for your next speaking engagement. Just go to autumnmiles.com. Once you're there, search the top of the index for the Invite Autumn tab. Then scroll down for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to tune in next time for another episode of The Autumn Miles Show.